welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound Prince for the week of September 17, 2017. The Blindfold Games are accessible apps for the iPhone, and there are many of them. There's word games, card games, bowling and basketball and Monopoly, and a game similar to Candy Crush, and much, much more. This week, Marty Schultz, developer of the Blindfold Games, wrote in his blog about Blindfold Bop. Here's what he has to say. In many schools for the blind, you'll often find the Bop It toy out on a table, not in a closet. The Bop It toy is an audio game where you follow the commands spoken by the toy, such as pulling a handle, twisting a crank, spinning a wheel, or toggling a switch, with game pace speeding up as you play. While there's already an accessible game in the App Store based on the Boppet toy, I had a lot of requests from teachers of the blind to build a Boppet game. They wanted a game to enable blind people to learn and practice iPhone and iPad gestures. Blindfold Bop starts out with easy mode, where you are told to make one gesture every 20 seconds for a total of five gestures. The gestures are simple. Tap with one finger. Tap with two fingers. Swipe in any direction. Or shake the phone. You get one point for each correct gesture. And the game is over after three mistakes. If you don't make three mistakes, you move to the next level where the gestures come a little faster, about every 15 seconds, and you get two points for each correct gesture. Each level is a little faster than the prior, and the points go up. Once you get good at the easy mode, the medium mode tests you on gestures such as tap, tap with two fingers, swipe up, swipe down, swipe left, swipe right, and shake. These are the most common gestures to control many apps, and performing well in Blindfold Bop translates to using the iPhone very effectively. Hard mode trains you to perfect more two-finger gestures, such as swiping left and right with two fingers and making a twist motion. Twisting is placing your thumb and forefinger on the phone and twisting the two fingers in a circle, either clockwise or counterclockwise. The twist gesture is identical to operating the iPhone rotor, a key part of iPhone accessibility. Many actions, such as copying and pasting, are done with a rotor. Similar to Blindfold Simon, Blindfold Bop lets you compete with another player by passing the phone back and forth. First you complete a level, then your friend completes that level until one of you makes three mistakes. Downfold Blindfold Bop from the App Store. People are always asking, what does ACB do for me? Tony Stevens is ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, and he spoke to the fall quarterly meeting of the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind by phone this past Friday, September 15. Tony brought us up to date on what's going on in Washington concerning people with disabilities. He covered so many topics that, even if you were at the meeting Friday, we're sure you didn't catch all he had to say. So we've included his remarks here on page 2. Tony is introduced by Bill Wright, President of the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind. Chris Gray is the Executive Director of the Missouri Council of the Blind, and he was President of ACB from 2001 to 2007. 
Chris has worked for many years toward the development of a better way for blind people to test their blood glucose levels, something that is of great importance to many, many diabetics who are blind or visually impaired. Chris spoke to the GLCB quarterly meeting about a new glucose meter that, if approved, will be a game changer for blind diabetics. Hear his remarks on page 3. There's Siri for the iPhone, Alexa on the Echo, and Cortana in the Microsoft world. In our house, we jokingly ask Siri if she knows Alexa, and Alexa if she talks to Siri. We just recently bought a new laptop computer, so Cortana has also joined our household. Up until now, these talking digital assistants haven't admitted to knowing each other, but that's about to change. Listen to an article about Alexa meets Cortana on page 4. And on page 5 is the Soundprints calendar. Page 2. This is uh, Bill Wright. I'd like to welcome everybody tonight. Um, and we want to go ahead and get started. And um, we have uh, Tony Stevens, who is the um, Director of Advocacy and Government Affairs for uh, ACB. And I will turn it over to him. Hi, Bill. Hi, everybody. Can everyone hear me okay? Yes. Yes. Wonderful. Well, thanks for the opportunity to get a chance to speak for you all this Friday. I hope everything is going well in Kentucky uh, as we go into the weekend and everybody had a good week. Uh, Carla had asked that I come on and get a chance to share with you all uh, some things that have been taking place here in Washington, D.C. and just provide a legislative update. Uh, as we're getting started, for the sake of time, uh, what's, what's our time frame again, Bill, or, or Adam, or anyone? Well, I understand that you have to be done by 10 till 6 Eastern time. Yeah, about, exactly. Yeah, I'm on daddy duty tonight, so I've got about 10 to 6. Um, and, go ahead. All right, Carla. Let's get him finished by 20 till so he gets there to get his kids on time. All right. <laughs> That's fine. Thank by you. 20 till. Uh, okay. Okay. 20 till. Well, what I'd like to do is just share with you all, um, if it's okay, some, some things that have been kind of exciting and some things that have been challenging uh, regarding blindness, but also to the larger disability community. Uh, for those that are on any of the ACB email lists, you might already be aware of some of the things taking place. We are currently in the last month of the federal fiscal year. Washington, D.C. goes October 1st through September 30th. So there's been a lot of activity once Congress came back after Labor Day in the session. We're working to still try to finalize the budget for the federal government. That, of course, impacts pretty much every agency. Uh, they usually do what's called spending packages and omnibus bills, which cover large portions of the government. They don't go agency by agency by agency, but they'll include, let's say, defense and veterans, or they'll include health and human services with labor uh, and other areas like that. And transportation will encompass a lot of federal agencies and things like that that deal with transportation. So we're currently in Washington, D.C., working through that budget process, and that should, that should hopefully get resolved by September 30th, uh, as that's when we click the calendar for the federal government. Uh, here in Washington, we've been working on a lot of issues as well since Congress came back. Uh, there's a number of things that have been real interesting that have been taking place this year. Those that maybe we're listening to or able to attend our national convention in Reno might be familiar with some of the resolutions that were passed this year. And they really sort of capture a lot of the key issues that members around the country are faced with. Uh, one of the areas that has been of recent concern, and we just sent out a press release actually yesterday after a successful settlement, uh, is pertaining to kiosks. The kiosks and touch screens and tablets and things like that 
the more and more that businesses try to find efficient ways to run and try to find ways to incorporate technology, uh, we're continuing to try to uh, we're continuing to experiencing difficulties in, in certain restaurants and establishments. Uh, there was a restaurant called Itza that's in a, on several cities around the country. It's an up-and-coming restaurant uh, where the whole concept of Itza was to walk into the door and there were not to be any humans around. You'd have no human intervention. It was a complete self-serve, upscale, sort of a Middle Eastern or, or Mediterranean-style, Chipotle-style restaurant uh, with you know um, lots of good healthy food, uh, sort of the new way where restaurants have been going. Uh, but they used it, what essentially was an iPad under plywood and glass, and you would touch the screen, you would order your food, and then there were a bunch of like little cubby holes in the wall, little doors, and when your order was ready, a number would pop up, and you'd go to the corresponding door and open up, and voila, it was as if robots had made your food and you never had a chance to find out where it came from. Uh, we had uh, realized, obviously, that that was inaccessible. Without anybody there to help, uh, it was a big challenge. So. Uh, one of our members in New York City, along with ourselves and disability rights advocates, had filed a suit, and we just announced a settlement yesterday with that. Uh, and what they're doing, since it's iPads, and folks might know that you know the accessibility is very good with iPads, it's finding a way to build in the accessibility and also make the apps accessible for folks that have smart pads. But the settlement was a big deal because it's part of a larger narrative of what's going on in Washington right now. Uh, some of you might go to like Olive Garden, or here in DC, I was at a Buffalo Wild Wings restaurant the other day. And it's not just the kiosk when you go in, but you might have a, a wait server, a, a waiter, a waitress that waits on your table, and you find out when you go there, you never really get a chance to interact with them again, and they'll leave a tablet at your table. You know, our, our, our own president had talked about how they were upset they never got breadsticks at Olive Garden. It turns out, well, there was a tablet on the table that you were supposed to order those from. So more and more we're finding these access areas with technology that in some ways has been such a huge help for us, but it's starting to become a barrier for us. And it's been a recent concern because Congress just passed through the Judiciary Committee last week a piece of legislation that actually is going to make it harder to do what we did with the ADA settlement with ITSA. And we're very much concerned with this. It's an issue that's been pushed on by the Chamber of Commerce and International Shopping Center Associations, a National Restaurant Association, Hotel Associations, other groups like that, uh, that basically would make it a lot harder to try to use the ADA uh, through the courts as a tool to seek like settlements that we did, or in cases of discrimination to be able to rule under what's called Title III of the ADA. Title III of the Americans with Disability Act uh, protects us in any kind of public accommodation. It's also the area that's really has helped us over the websites and things like that over the recent years. So it's an issue that we're actively engaging with. We sent out a letter today because there's been a lot of concerns over how do we exactly message it. The reason why they're trying to curtail the ADA is because there's a perception that there's a lot of folks out there who are going out and just sue, 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 sue. Reminds me of the old song, A Boy Named Sue. Uh, as much as people are out there trying to you know, paint a picture that only people are using the ADA in the courts as a way to make money. Uh, that's in no way the case for anybody that's ever worked for an advocacy group like ACB or any of our other uh, you know, organizations around the country that do disability rights work. Um, you know, yes, there are a few bad apples, and in some cases, we've actually found those bad apples even make it harder for us because there's nothing worse than going to a court and having a judge make a ruling on a really bad decision. Because usually the people that are these drive-by lawsuits, typically they don't, they don't care what the outcome is. They just want to get their legal expenses recouped and some money from damages. So, you know, in some cases, uh, they actually will let bad cases win 
and then that sets precedence for judges and that makes it hard for everybody down the road so what we're doing is we're calling on congress right now to really find a way to bring the disability community to the table to resolve this situation we think that it's it's not something we need to do that uh, would involve opening up the ada and changing it because it's been interesting this, this all these associations have been working on the ada the history of the ada was an extremely popular bipartisan piece of legislation but at no point has the disability community been able to work with bipartisan members of Congress right now. So we're really working on that. Uh, but it's difficult because the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and those associations I mentioned, they have powerful lobby influence in Congress, which is why we need more of the voices of our members to talk about those personal experiences. Like if you go to an Olive Garden, if you go to a McDonald's now where they're starting to put in self-serve kiosks in certain parts of the country, what are your experiences like? And, and why do we need the ADA? Those are the stories we're looking for. On the area of technology, we've had been having some exciting areas that we've been growing in as well this past few weeks. Last week, the House of Representatives passed a piece of legislation that started to pave the way, and I know that sounds silly when we talk about paving and roads and stuff, but towards autonomous vehicles. It's hard to think 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when I was reading science fiction books in school, the idea that we would have driverless cars someday in, in my lifetime. The reality is, is that they're already on the roads in places like Pittsburgh, uh, Tempe, Arizona, San Francisco, Austin, Texas, where they're doing research now in, in autonomous, highly autonomous vehicles, which means there's still a human, there's still a steering wheel, but for the most part, the car is doing all the driving around now. This is going to be something that Lyft and Uber, the rideshare companies, are very much pushing for uh, because they in the auto industry, like General Motors and Ford and others, have really seen it as a way to accelerate the ability to get these autonomous or driverless cars on the roads. Now, the reality is, contrary to what some folks might be saying in the watchdog groups, these cars are actually very extremely safe. And I say this as someone who's been hit three times in my life by cars, um, all, all driven by humans. The last one was someone texting. Uh, you know, the capabilities of technology to drive are going to make huge impact on pedestrian safety on our streets. Uh, deaths on the highway is a major issue that insurance companies obviously are concerned with, so they're behind it. And the technology is, is on the cutting edge of what we call artificial intelligence, where the cars basically, uh, you know, are always aware, always alert, taking in information, in determining what it is, being able to identify if this person has a cane that's crossing the street or a woman with a dog or a stroller. It recognizes all these things and acts accordingly. Uh, it's the same kind of technology that when you hear about companies like Ira, the sort of self-service uh, concierge service for people who are blind, that's a wearable set of Google glasses you put on your head and you talk to an agent, Official, uh, eventually the same technology that they're incorporating in these autonomous vehicles is also going to be used in wearable devices and all other types of ways around society that basically augment the sensory loss that people who are blind have. So it's a very interesting technology and the ability uh, to describe and, and explain. It's not going to be our eyes physically, but it'll be, in a sense, that sighted guide that's always with you. Uh, I would encourage people to check out what's called the OLLI Challenge, O-L-L-I-E. There's, there's an accessible driverless shuttle uh, that's based out of uh, here in National Harbor outside D.C. And they're doing a challenge online with IBM's uh, Watson, the smart computer that played chess on Jeopardy, some might have seen. That's the brains of this accessible vehicle, and they're trying to make the world's most accessible uh, vehicle that, that is going to have some pretty impressive stuff. So if you're web savvy, get on the Internet, look for uh, IBM's accessibility challenge for Ollie the shuttle. Uh, it's pretty exciting. So that's an area that ACB has been actively involved with. We just joined the Coalition for Future Mobility, which allows us to work alongside with the major auto manufacturers, with groups like Lyft, 
We still have an ongoing relationship with Uber, not just on the driverless car issue, uh, but also, too, around service animals. We'll be meeting with them next week. We continue to fight for the rights of people to service animals in the ride share. And we're also working as well on the airline industry with the issues people are having on airlines. Uh, we are working across the board on a, on a wide number of advocacy issues. Uh, if you go to our website, acb.org, we've just posted a few days ago all the resolutions from 2017. We had 28 resolutions this year. It was a packed year. Everything from issues dealing, like I talked about, with technology and autonomous vehicles to IRS tax reform for student loans for people with disabilities to FCC. Uh, the FCC had passed this summer. Uh, starting January, we're going to be having uh, up to 87.5 hours a quarter of described programming on the top five cable channels and the top four television networks. So you're going to see about double the number of primetime television that's described for the blind. That was an issue that ACB was directly involved with with the Federal Communications Commission. Uh, there's a lot of exciting projects. So I would encourage everybody to go to acb.org and check out our website. Uh, and, and the resolution link should be there on the front page. Now we just posted it a few days ago. So, uh, you know, again, there's a lot of exciting things going on. One thing I'd like to do, though, is while we have a chance to be together, is to find out some of the key issues that's going on in your community as well. So I'm happy to take any questions uh, or concerns or anything like that that you all want to be brought to the attention here in Washington. Because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, my job and the job of those that, that I work with uh, here in Washington is to make sure that your story is told and the issues that are most impacting you are being told of Washington. So I'm going to be quiet now because I know I've talked an awful lot and just have a chance to, to ask you all any questions, any issues that are a burning concern that we can represent you here in Washington, D.C. for. Does, does anyone have any questions? I do. Yeah. It's Libby. Wait a minute. All right. Go ahead, Libby. Hi, Libby. Sure. Hi. Go ahead. We need uh, a chance. They're getting me a microphone so they can hear me here like it's that hard That's to hear fine. me. Um, we always talk about what he, we have here in in our area, TARC 3 service, and what it does is it allow you have, it can keep you on the vehicle an hour and 20 minutes and it doesn't matter where you're going. And my question, mm -hmm. my point is, is what they will sometimes do is keep you on that long time, but they will take you, like they won't take, they will take you way out of the way. Right. and go and so it can congress do anything about transportation concerns and change some of these things well one of the things that that advocates are working on and we just launched it here in dc with the washington metropolitan area transit administration and i know boston's already done it as well uh, other cities around the country are doing it is because uber has been making such a detrimental impact to the taxi industries the taxis have actually been trying to find ways to still survive uh, but it's also sort of, in a sense, put a lot of challenges on the paratransit industry because people that have accepted paratransit for what it is, you know, you're maybe trying to go six blocks and they drag you all the way to New Albany for no reason. Yeah. Now there's anything wrong with New Albany. Yeah. But, you know, people will run these, ex there were cases with people for three hours on the Metro Access, the shuttle paratransit vehicles here in D.C. And it is a problem that's around the country. Uh, these, these systems like Trapeze is a popular scheduling system, always has flaws uh, in trying to find the best route for people to get people and just work efficiently. At the same time this is going on, companies like Uber and Lyft have been showing the world that you can get extremely efficient transportation mapped out, planned out, and, and you know have a car available for you in two to five minutes. So here in Washington, D.C., one of the issues that just took place was 
cabs that are using similar technology for their software through a company called Curb that does sort of taxi apps similar to Uber and Lyft uh, are using where you can dial up your paratransit, you get four rides a day, and it'll be curb to curb service, uh, you know, essentially dropping, take, picking you up and dropping you direct. No more driving way out of the way, uh, but it's a direct ride and you'll pay sort of a flat fee, like $5, and, and it'll take you directly to where you're going, and you can order it up immediately. As soon as the vehicle is ready, uh, it'll work. Boston has done it with Uber. Um, and I think they get, the way Boston works is I think you get just, you know, they, they limit the number of rides you can have, but they cover the cost. It turns out in Washington, D.C., and I don't know if the price is, the cost is similar in Louisville, but in Washington, D.C., it's $55 to take a person on a paratransit ride. The city found that with paying $25 a ride, they're cutting $20 off each ride. You pay five, they pay 20. And it's, it's pretty much still coming in cheaper. I mean, you can take uh, a ride with Uber or companies like that, $15, $20. So there's significant cost savings. What I would recommend as advocates is to remind your transit center, hey, there are ways that really make this better to save costs. And we actually have this year a resolution specifically on uh, paratransit, not just curb to curb, but moving toward door to door. I think what this resolution is going to allow us to do is engage with folks in the Department of Transportation the reality is Congress probably isn't going to do anything to change it, but we can definitely get Congress and we're working closely with Secretary Chow and the Department of Transportation on a number of safety issues for transportation around autonomous vehicles. It's allowing us to get into DOT and in an administration that's looking for ways to be more efficient, we're able to say, look, here is a way that paratransit can be reformed and not only reformed, but completely change the way that it works as customer service. No more sort of you feel like you're the last person in the world trying to get anywhere, but that's our hope. I hope that answers your question. Yes. Bill. 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 Yeah. Um, I hear several people. Um, right here, Bill. Wendy over here by me. Wendy? Yep. Oh. There you go. Hi, Tony. My name is Wendy. Hi, Wendy. Hey. Um, I'm on the board of directors for a um, museum in New Albany, Indiana. And being a board member, I'm privy to how much money they pull down, federal dollars, state dollars, and it's a lot. And um, I have brought up with them many, several times um, uh, accessibility for their exhibits. I've seen programs called Museum Speak and other adaptive equipment um, because a visually impaired person would just stand in front of a picture and not have any idea what they're looking at um, and I've been told they have to be ADA compliant with entrances and widths and their bathrooms and everything mm -hmm. but they don't have to provide any kind of accommodation for the actual exhibits that are at the museum so that's my question to you you know that's an issue we've been we've been fighting uh, you know it wasn't put through in the ADA. The Title III, and if it's a, if it's a state-run institution, it's Title II of the ADA or a local municipal government run. Um, you know, they have uh, uh, focused a lot on architectural barriers. They took a lot of the stuff out of the ADA out of an architectural uh, act from like 1968 uh, that was for federal government and kind of applied that to all public buildings. Uh, and it's made it difficult because we're entered into the world of description um, that's, that's become possible now through technology that wasn't around 27 years ago when the ADA was passed. 
we've been we've been lucky in making some ground um, through working with the Alliance for American Museums. I think I think that's the acronym AAM. Um, this past year, and I think Carla was uh, maybe part of it at our board meeting. We had at the Holocaust Museum here in Washington D.C. We worked at part of that described. Uh, we're also working with the Smithsonian right now to have a number of exhibits at the National Natural uh, History Museum here in D.C. described. But you're right in that it's a challenge. It's a lot of grassroots advocacy and showing goodwill uh, that a museum operates in public funds. We secured grant money for the Holocaust Museum and for the Smithsonian. You know, it's it's been through grants that we've been really able to do this. Um, but it is definitely something. It's from a legislative perspective, it's probably not going to be changing anytime soon in the ADA to fight for these. Uh, but what I would encourage you doing is reaching out to your local government and just trying to find any kind of champion, if it's in Kentucky on the state level or on the city or county, uh, you know, or in Indiana as well, um, with uh, you know any of the Indiana members of Congress or anybody that can maybe kind of be a champion uh, that can basically say rise to the task and say, look, we need to find ways to fund this and to get this community support behind this. That's been uh, you know the most success we've had. <clears throat> Uh, you know, our, our hope is that the ADA came out with, with its uh, guidance around movie theaters and audio description in the physical movie theaters. Uh, you know, our hope is that that can maybe get it more out there and make people more aware and understand the demand. Uh, we had talked about IRA earlier, the, the wearable glasses. One of the areas that IRA is looking to do is to take their product and pitch it to like museums and say, look, uh, you may think audio description is a lot. But, you know, have a pair of Ivor glasses around and for like $89 a month, uh, you know, any blind user comes in, they can put them on and we'll have somebody describe it to them while they're going through Well, live agents describe it. So, you know, there's, uh, there's smart, innovative ways uh, that's making it more affordable. Uh, I think a lot of it has to be, though, unfortunately, the advocacy that we have to do. We'll be happy to, to talk with you more on ways that we can try to work to engage the museum in New Albany and maybe try to think of ways to get other players involved in and around Louisville, uh, because Louisville and the metropolitan area around Louisville is such an icon for you know leading the way in blindness uh, in all fronts. Um, it, it would be a shame to think that, that there's a negative attitude towards making that museum accessible in the community. So we'll be happy to work with you on that. If you want to reach out to our national office, uh, Carla or Bill or anybody can put you in touch with us. This looks like a good place to break. Uh, Tony, we would we would like to thank you for for taking your time to call in tonight. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you so much for taking time to, to hear what's going on with us. And again, uh, you know, reach out to advocacy at acb.org if you ever have any issues or concerns. Or you can always call and, and ask for me at our national office. Happy to help. Page three. I, I would like to welcome Chris Ray, who is the uh, director of the Missouri Council of the Blind. And uh, welcome, Chris, and thank you for calling in. And I'm sorry about the telephone problems. Well, I'm awful glad to be here. I wish I was right there in Louisville with all you guys, because I know you have a good time. A couple things I wanted to say to you, and I, I know you're probably there for a meal now more than you hear a lot of speeches, so I won't say a lot. And in one sense, there isn't a lot to say, but there's some, and, and it's pretty good. Uh, very recently, an announcement came out, and I guess it seems to originally have just come to people who 
have had some kind of direct relationship with Abbott Diabetes Care. Um, I began to research it, and at first I couldn't find out too much about it, but uh, yesterday was able to get connected to some people in their innovations team and uh, got preliminary information on a new kind of blood glucose meter. This is called the Libra. Now, it's not released yet, um, and I'll get to that in just a moment, but it is clearly a new generation of blood glucose meter. Um, some of you may have had experience or have friends who have experienced the Dexcom, where you wear a little patch with a needle in it, and it uh, takes subcutaneous fluid from your skin and uh, can give you a blood glucose measurement. But the fluid that it takes is not really blood, and so you have to calibrate the Dexcom at least three or four times a day by doing a standard blood glucose test. Your typical finger stick, uh, blood on the strip, yada, yada, yada. And uh, you plug that data <clears throat> into the Dexcom, and then the Dexcom can give you more accurate reading. Now, that isn't necessarily a bad thing, and if you need continuous glucose readings, it's probably okay. Um, I never use the Dexcom because I figure if I've got a test three or four times a day anyway, why would I want to use the Dexcom? Because I'm not you know, using insulin and don't have some of the dependencies that, that you may have if you're more, more of a fragile diabetic. So that was really discouraging to me about the Dexcom. Moving now to the Libra. The Libra, you can wear this thing, whatever it is, a patch, or a, I just don't know how to describe it because I've never touched one, and it isn't well described on their innovation website. But you can wear it up to 14 days. It's my understanding that Dexcom can't be worn that long. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. You, you can wear the Libra patch up to 14 days. Uh, you can bathe with it. You can swim with it. Uh, you can't do a lot of heavy exercise with it. That's not, not in the cards for, for this patch. But uh, through infrared technology, and I believe that's what Dexcom uses also, the patch communicates continuous readings to your meter, and your meter stores them, and, and then you can show it to your doctor or, or hopefully access it yourself and you're good to go. So there are no finger sticks required, and that's a big, big step forward, I think, for, for a lot of us. And the, the 14 days is, is good as well. Uh, what we don't know about at this moment is uh, what kind of accessibility the meter has. Um, Abbott knows quite a bit about how to make meters accessible. I've actually worked with them uh, under an NDA uh, off and on. Because I am under a non-disclosure, I have to be a little careful what I say. And actually, even though I 
do have the NDA with them. Uh, I didn't know a whole lot more about this meter than you are knowing today from their website. That's probably, though, why I got the, the original notice about three weeks ago. Anyway, um, it's going to be a, a great meter, <clears throat> and of course I, I hope and pray that it is accessible in some way, at least as accessible as Dexcom, which you can get the data out of your cell phone for the Dexcom. Maybe they've done something even different with the... Uh, with the lever, I just don't know at this point. What I do know, though, I'll be sure and relay it to your leadership in Kentucky and, and let you guys know what's going on. The cost of the meter is not entirely known, but Abbott is saying that it will be somewhere in the range of 50 to $80. And that you won't have all the supplies, the lances, and so forth to buy. Of course, lances don't cost very much. I don't know what they're going to be charging for these, uh, these patches. Uh, I'm sure they won't be cheap. <laughs> these things never are. But um, anyway, that's basically what I know about the Libra today. Uh, it's, well, I guess I do know one more thing. It is at the FDA pending FDA investigation and FDA approval. I cannot believe that it won't be had fairly soon. Abbott's hoping before the end of the year. But I just don't see how it can be a problem because there is a meter like this uh, available to physicians today for use in their practice, not to give to patients, but to assign to a patient for up to 14 days for monitoring and evaluation. It's got a somewhat different name, but it's been obviously been approved by the FDA. The technology is very, very similar, so I just don't see any approval issues down the road here. So that's what I know. Uh, are there any questions? I, I know one thing, personally speaking, the sooner the better. <laughs> Anything that doesn't have needles. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I couldn't agree with you more. This is what we've been waiting for. I, I said yesterday, maybe on the list, but I was saying to some friends of mine, unless they're way overselling their product, and Abbott has never done that, this is a real game changer for all of us. And uh, so let's, let's hope for the best. And uh, stay tuned. There will be a lot more to learn between now and Christmas. Now, Bill and Adam, Carla, everybody there, I would be remiss if I didn't say at least a word or two about the fact that many of you, I hope maybe all of you in that room, but many of you will be coming to St. Louis, Missouri in July for the ACB Annual Convention. And we're really excited. You guys have been lucky in Kentucky. Well, I, I think you're lucky, and maybe some don't, but... <laughs> We've been there in 1980 and 2000, 2008, 12, uh, and I hope we come back soon. But ACB has not been to St. Louis since 1983, and we are so excited to have you guys coming. Uh, you're going to be in a beautiful, beautiful hotel. It used to be Union Station, and we all know what Union Stations are, and the bottom part of the hotel still has a bunch of the tracks and a bunch of the uh, 
memorabilia and a little museum down there, which is, is really fun to go to, especially if you go with somebody who knows about trains. Um, but there's good restaurants nearby. Uh, if you go about five or six blocks down, there's lots and lots of restaurants in downtown St. Louis. Um, we're working on the program now. We're working on tours. Uh, one tour that I'm kind of hoping we can arrange. I don't know if we will or not yet. There's no telling for sure. But if we can, we're going to. And that'll be a tour to Hannibal, Missouri, to Mark Twain's home, and uh, see the sights of, of Hannibal. So that, that, that can be really nice. Uh, the convention committee is coming in late October to begin their work. And we've had several meetings already, so we're getting getting things together. Already working on goodie bags and all that all that kind of stuff. But I think it's going to be a big convention, and it's going to be a wonderful convention. Uh, good food. St. Louis has very very good food, and uh, lots and lots of things to do. We got a, one of the only free zoos left in the country, and you're probably two miles from that zoo. Forest Park, a huge, huge park. If you like to get outside and do things, is uh, the zoo is part of Forest Park. And uh, of course, there's Bissinger's Chocolate. You guys know I love Bissinger's Chocolate, and uh, you might, you know, you might get down there and try some of their pieces. But it's going to be great. It's going to be fun, and I guarantee you, it's going to be well organized and well managed. We're we're already working on volunteers. And volunteers are always a problem, but we've already got some lined up, and I think we're going to have a whole lot more. The state convention coordinator is a real dynamo. You'll love her when you meet her. She's, she's organized, she's personable, and she is enthusiastic. Her name is Jessica Tabor. She and her husband live here in St. Louis, and uh, She's doing a great job as the coordinator, and uh, so I hope you all come and visit us. We'd sure love to have you, and thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. You guys have a fun evening. Page four. The following article was posted on Leadership on August 31 and is entitled Cortana, Open Alexa, Amazon says, and Microsoft agrees. This originally appeared in the New York Times. In an unusual relationship, Amazon and Microsoft are working together to extend the abilities of their voice-controlled digital assistants. Seattle, the crowded pack of voice-controlled digital assistants, Apple's Siri, Google Assistant, Amazon's Alexa, and Microsoft's Cortana are good at numerous things. They can help people play music, set up calendar appointments, check the weather. They can even get two rival tech executives, Jeff Bezos, B-E-Z-O-S, of Amazon, and Satya, S-A-T-Y-A, Nadella, N-A-D-E-L-L-A, of Microsoft, to join hands in a rare partnership. For the past year, the two companies have been coordinating behind the scenes to make Alexa and Cortana communicate with each other. The partnership, which the companies plan to announce early Wednesday, 
will allow people to summon Cortana using Alexa and vice versa by the end of the year. It is unusual for big tech companies to cooperate on important new technologies that they want to stand out from the competition. Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Google, and nearly every other big tech company is pouring huge amounts of money into making digital assistants that are smarter and can do more, seeing them as a new way for people to interact naturally with devices and online services. But Mr. Bezos and Mr. Nadella are concerned that keeping assistants from working together could hold them back. The way they see it, each assistant has unique strengths that could benefit the other assistants. In an interview last Friday at one of Amazon's Seattle High Rises, Mr. Bezos predicted that over time, people would turn to different digital assistants, also called AIs, for artificial intelligence. The same way they turn to one friend for advice about hiking and another for restaurant recommendations. I want them to have access to as many of those AIs as possible, Mr. Bezos said. As an example, Mr. Bezos cited Cortana's superior integration with Outlook, the popular calendar and email application that is part of the Microsoft Office suite of software. Because Microsoft controls both products, Outlook is integrated more deeply with Cortana than with other voice assistants. Through its collaboration with Microsoft, Amazon said, Alexa users will get answers to some of the same questions that Cortana can now answer. For instance, when is the next budget review with the boss? Initially, getting the two systems to work together is going to be a little awkward. Someone working with an Alexa device will have to say, Alexa, open Cortana, followed by their command, while someone starting with a Cortana machine will have to say, Cortana, open Alexa. The Amazon-Microsoft partnership started in May of 2016, when Mr. Bezos raised the idea with Mr. Nadella at Microsoft's CEO Summit, an annual event for business leaders in the Seattle area. Mr. Nadella was receptive to the idea, so a short while later, Mr. Bezos emailed a draft of a brief news release that described how their assistants would work together, both men said. It is standard at Amazon to create such news releases for internal consumption as part of what Mr. Bezos calls the company's working backward process. Through that exercise, Amazon's teams depict in writing how a new product or service will look to its customers before engineers write a line of code. In a phone interview, Mr. Nadella compared digital assistants like Cortana and Alexa to competing web browsers that provide access to the same pools of online information. The personality and expertise of each one will be such that if they interoperated, the user will get more out of it, he said. That resonated for me and for him, and then that's what led the teams working together. Mr. Bezos said he had not reached out to Apple or Google to invite them to join in the effort and does not know if they would want to. I'd welcome it, he said. Hopefully, they'll be inspired by it, Mr. Nadella said. At least that would be my hope. An Apple spokeswoman declined to comment 
while a Google spokeswoman did not return a request for comment. Apple and Google may see competitive advantages in keeping their AI separate from rival assistants, partly as a way to protect a selling point of their mobile software, iOS and Android. Apple is especially finicky about wanting to control as much as it can of people's experiences with its iPhones and iPads. There's no reason Google or Apple would offer it because they're trying to drive their own ecosystems, said Jan Dawson, an analyst with Jack Daw Research, a technology research firm. By contrast, Alexa is mostly used on Echo speakers that sit around a home, and Cortana is largely used on PCs. Amazon says it has sold millions of Echo devices. Accounting for around 70% of the market for smart speakers, according to eMarketer, a market research firm. Microsoft says there are 145 million active monthly users of Cortana through Windows 10. The two companies have struggled in the smartphone business, which makes it hard to get people using Alexa and Cortana outside homes and offices. Amazon and Microsoft are cutting deals with car makers to integrate their assistants directly into vehicles. While Amazon and Microsoft have released digital assistant apps for mobile devices running Google and Apple software, the apps are not as widespread and using them is usually not as effortless as the ones Apple and Google build into their devices. Eventually, Mr. Bezos predicted the primary assistant on a device will be smart enough to automatically route a person's request to whichever assistant is best equipped to answer, without needing a verbal introduction between the two. In my view of the world, because that would be best for the customer, that's probably what eventually will happen, he said. APH is nearby explorer is a full-featured GPS app for iOS and Android devices that empowers users to travel with confidence. It uses GPS and your phone's compass to speak real-time information about your surroundings, including millions of points of interest in the U.S. and Canada. Nearby Explorer is available on Google Play and on the App Store. Send to Braille is a free tool for creating a Braille file quickly in Windows. It adds a shortcut to your Send to Folder menu. Once installed, simply point to a file, right-click, select Send to, select Braille, to create a quick Braille file instantly. Download Send to Braille from the American Printing House for the Blind at tech.aph.org lt. Page 5, The Sound Prince Calendar. On September 19, the Tri-State Library users invite you to a second presentation of reading with your Kindle app and Alexa. Call 605-475-6006. The call will be at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. On September 21, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired will have a booth at Senior Day Out in Owensboro from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. Stop by their booth at Town Square Mall in Owensboro to learn about Savvy, 
pick up materials, and more. On September 21, the KCB Convention Planning Committee will meet at 7 p.m. by phone 605-475-6006. September 22, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have a roundabout with Education and Technology at 3.30, Discussion Time at 5, Page Turners, a chance to share your favorite books at 5.30, followed by a meeting of the Tri-State Library users, dinner at 6, $5 per person, and games and crafts after dinner beginning at 7 p.m. Also, please remember to bring items that you wish to have read to Roundabout, as we have a volunteer that assists each week with that activity. Roundabout is at United Crescent Hill Ministries, and to sign up, call 502-895-4598. On September 23, there are a number of activities. Next Generation plans to hold its next dine-out on that day. For more information, contact Amanda Selm at alsmoot87 at gmail.com or give her a call at 502-750-1774. The Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold a support group meeting in the Covington area also on September 23. For information about time and location, contact Shirley Stivers at 859-307-3720 or email Shirley at sstivers, S-S-T-I-V-E-R-S 77 at gmail.com. And finally, on September 23, the American Printing House for the Blind will hold Disability Rights, Where Are We Now?, from 1 to 3 p.m. The passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act in 1990 established the basic civil rights of people with disabilities. What policy changes and practical steps come next? What can we learn from mistakes made in the past? And are the voices of people with disabilities being adequately included in these conversations? Come join in the discussion with our expert panel to answer these questions and more. At the American Printing House for the Blind in Louisville, admission is free but registration is required. Call 502-899-2213 to sign up. This is best for adults and older children. On September 24, ACB Families will have its next Peer Support Network call at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. This is an opportunity to discuss anything about being a blind, visually impaired, or sighted parent, grandparent, or guardian raising a blind, visually impaired, or sighted child. Call 712-432-3900 and enter code 796096. September 25 is the Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana membership call, 7 p.m. by phone. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On September 27, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have its next peer support group meeting from 12 to 2 p.m. at the Bluegrass Council office, 1093 South Broadway in Lexington. For more information, call 859-259-1834. September 28 is the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision Support Group meeting from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. 
at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. More information is available by calling 502-895-4598. On September 29, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have another roundabout. Education and Technology at 3.30, Discussion at 5, Dinner, $5 per person at 6, and Games and Crafts 7 to 10. The main topic of that evening will be food. It will be held at United Crescent Hill Ministries. For more information, call 502-895-4598. Looking ahead to October, on October 1, the Greater Louisville Council will have its committee meetings by phone. Advocacy is at 7 p.m. And Education, Activities, and Technology, the EAT Committee, is at 8 p.m. Phone 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On October 3, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have a telephone support group and business meeting at 8 p.m. The telephone number is 605-475-6006 and you can enter code 294444 to join the call. On October 5, the American Council of Blind Lions will have its next conference call meeting at 9 p.m. Eastern Time at 712-432-3900. The code is 796096, and the program will be presented by a blind past district governor. On October 6, the next GLCB roundabout will take place. There will be education and technology at 3.30, discussion at 5, dinner at 6, and games and crafts from 7 to 10. At United Crescent Hill Ministries, call 502-895-4598 for more information. On October 8, KCB Next Generation will have its monthly conference call at 8 p.m. 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. On October 10, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, SAVVY, will have its October meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. For information, call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418 or Bill Roberts at 270-485-8170. On October 11, the KCBPR Membership Committee will meet at 8 p.m. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. The Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision Support Group will meet at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville on October 12 from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. For more information, call 502-895-4598. Also on October 12, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its next monthly conference call meeting at 605-475-4700, enter code 155719. The meeting takes place at 7 p.m. On November 17 and 18, the Kentucky Council of the Blind will hold its 2017 convention at the Ramada Inn on Zorn Avenue in Louisville. Room rates are $80 per room for up to four people in a room. 
You can make reservations beginning September 15 by calling 502-897-5101. Be sure and mark your calendars for this event. And on December 2 is the All Council Christmas Party in Louisville at United Crescent Hill Ministries. For more information, contact 502-895-4598. December 3 is the ACB Radio Holiday Auction. Beginning at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, until midnight, or until all items are sold. For more information, visit www.acb.org or see your current issue of the Braille Forum for more details. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, Call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Soundprints. Have a great week, everybody.